Hello, listeners. It's Sadia Khan. And I'm Asad Bhatt. So for any new listeners out there, Invisible Hate is a true crime podcast where Asad and I research and analyze crimes committed against minorities. And then we share our findings with all of you to determine whether it is a hate crime or not. Right. We're not your average true crime commentator. Sadia and I will be looking at the cases where the victim may have been targeted for their minority identity. And based on what we learn, we'll try to decide if the case was likely a hate crime, like Sadia just said at the end of the episode. Absolutely. And do stay tuned till the very end to learn about some additional resources we'll be sharing so that you can help people who are impacted by hate crime or not. These victims still deserve our support. 100%. And we are going to talk about some pretty heavy topics. So it's important to remember that these are real victims. Let's get into it. Today, we are sharing the horrific attack and attempted murder of Rice Bouillon when he was at work in a convenience store in a small town outside of Dallas, Texas, 10 days after 9-11 by a white supremacist. This story might be familiar to you because we featured it on both American Muslim Project and King of the World. Sadia, were you in the States during 9-11? I was, but we had just moved in. We were living on campus in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So I was pretty much a new immigrant and I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on around me until 9-11 happened, which happened a couple of months after we arrived in the U.S. Wow, that's great. I, I, I mean, that's fascinating. I didn't know that. I was also in the Boston area when 9-11 happened and working at a couple um, journalism outlets. Um, as you're aware, you know, for those that were a minority or specifically Muslim, the days after 9-11 were really scary. There was a palpable tension and just an uncertainty about how our American brothers and sisters would view us and treat us. Um, honestly, it was a feeling that didn't go away for years. I'm sure you felt that as well. Um, around the country, Muslims, South Asians, Arabs, Hispanics, you know, anyone that didn't fit that kind of stereotypical white model felt this sense of fear. And it was a justified fear, too, because minorities were being targeted with violence across the country because we were being blamed for 9-11. You know, I said it's so interesting you bring this up because when I look back, I don't remember that initial sense of fear or worry because I was new, as I said in the beginning, and maybe I didn't really realize the gravity of what had happened and I was living on campus, so I felt more protected. But later, once we moved out of the campus and to Denver, Colorado, hate and microaggressions became a lot more visible and painful. Yeah, and, and talked about, I would say, as well, right? We didn't, yeah. You didn't have to hold it in, you know, um, within I mean, yourself. I mean, I held it in for almost the first seven, eight, nine years Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I was like, you know, I'm an immigrant. I don't want to ruffle the feathers. I will focus on uh, realizing our quote-unquote American dream. But after seven, eight years, I felt the stakes were higher and I couldn't stay on the sidelines anymore. 
I mean, that's amazing. And I think that's how a lot of other American Muslims have felt and minorities have felt, you know, over the last couple decades as well. So tell me about the case, Asad. Yeah. So, you know, as we we're discussing, this is the America that Rice Buyan was living in when he was brutally attacked. It was, you know, 10 days after 9-11 on September 21st, Rice was just doing what he normally does. He was working behind the counter at a gas station in Mesquite, Texas, just outside of Dallas. He had been working there for a while, and this was just a typical day for him. But then things took a deadly turn, uh, or near deadly turn, when Mark Anthony Stroman entered the gas station. Stroman, who we'll later learn, is a white supremacist with a long history of violence and crime. And he was looking to take his anger out on someone. And after he enters the gas station, he pulls out a double-barreled shotgun, points it at Rice, who is standing behind the counter, and asks, where are you from? Before Rice has even time to answer, Stroman pulls the trigger from point-blank range. Now, let's just take some time to talk about Rice Buyan. Razadin is his full first name, but he goes by Rice and his life up until that point. Rice was born in September of 1973 in Bangladesh. After serving as a pilot officer in the Bangladesh Air Force, Rice moved to the U.S. in 1999 to study computer technology. He liked to describe coming to America as a dream come true, even referring to America as his dream, quote-unquote, dream country. Oh my God, I said, this is so disheartening. It is so sad. He came to the U.S. a couple of years before I came. Yeah. And I cannot imagine what happened to him. But even the fact that Rice had so many dreams and aspirations and he looked to America a certain way, his dream country, that's the dream that's fed to a lot of people outside the U.S. of what U.S. is all about, and then to experience this traumatic, difficult, unbelievable incident. I just can't wrap my head around this. Oh, it, it, it's going to get a lot worse, trust me. And mm. yeah, you know, I think like you and your husband, by 2001, Rice had, had moved to Dallas and was in school and had a fiance and was leading a happy life. He was really surprised a little bit by... American life in rural Texas, I can imagine that that was quite different than Bangladesh, yeah. um, where uh, most folks are struggling to make ends meet. Um, but this really allowed Rice to understand and communicate better with those he crossed paths with. Working at a convenience store, you can imagine the regulars come in all the time. And so he got to know them really well. Sally, I know that you talk to a lot of people on your Immigrantly podcast about their journeys. Do you feel like this is a, a typical journey for an immigrant coming to America? I feel like immigrants exist on a vast spectrum of humanity. So all of us have different reasons and different needs and wants for taking this journey. But I am not surprised that Rice was surprised by the reality of American life, especially in rural Texas. Asad, imagine when my husband and I came, we were in Cambridge, Massachusetts on campus. The life was very different there, right? Yeah. 
By the way, I want to share a few stats with our listeners about Mesquite, Texas. It's predominantly white. No surprises there. The Asian population is very small, only 2.8%. Imagine an immigrant from Bangladesh who's never experienced American way of life lands there. The sort of alienation, the sort of surprises that he must have faced. Again, this is what's fed to a lot of us, and we are unaware of the realities on the ground. But once we are here, then we know. Right. Now let's go back to the scene of the crime. So Rice has shared this with us on other podcast series that when he got shot, remember from point blank range, he says, quote, I felt, I felt it first like a million bees stinging my face. And then I heard the explosion. And so then Rice looks down at the floor and he sees blood pouring out of him on the right side of his head like an open faucet. I mean, this, this imagery is just so vivid. Oh my um, God. And he puts both of his hands on his face, basically thinking that if he didn't do this, that his brain would, would come out, you know? He then screams for his mom at the top of his lungs. And when I hear this, it just it gets me emotional, you know, just like that kind of primal need for your mom to take care of you, you know? And, yeah. and Sadi, your mom, I mean... Oh my gosh, this is so difficult to even listen to. And there are so many thoughts and emotions running through my mind right now. And for him to call out for his mom, as you said, it it just brings tears to my eyes. Yeah. We saw it the same with George Floyd a couple of years ago, remember, when he was yeah. being murdered by police. He also called out for his mom. And it just, uh, yeah, like you said, it's 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 so emotional and so tragic. And so, you know, going back, while this is happening, he also sees that Strowman is actually still there in the convenience store. And so he pretends to be dying so he won't be shot again. Just really wild, wild stuff. You know, I was reading this and that's the first thought that came to my mind. If somebody's shot you once and they're still standing there, the first thought that comes to your mind is, this person is going to shoot me again. Right. Luckily for Rice... Strowman leaves without causing any more harm to him. Rice, meanwhile, then runs over to the barbershop next door where patrons call 911, an ambulance and everything, you know, comes and takes him to the hospital where he undergoes life-saving surgery. Luckily, he survives, but he permanently loses vision in one eye. This next part is going to make you even more angry about the situation. When he wakes up the next day in the hospital, he's actually kicked out for not having health insurance. I mean, oh my God. can you imagine the trauma and the pain, you know, going through his body and his mind, and then you're denied all medical care? Medicare for all people. That's yeah. what we need. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what we need. It's it's just it's just shocking. And you know, Rice would go on to amass more than $60,000 in medical bills in multiple surgeries over the years after the attack. And then to add insult to injury, shortly after the attack, his fiance leaves him. And so he's so depressed about all of it that he honestly contemplates suicide at one point. I'm not surprised, Asad, but I have a question for you. About 60000 is there any law where the perpetrator could have been held accountable or liable for all the medical bills that recruit Raisuddin? 
Yeah, I think that there are, you know, once you go through the court system and someone is at fault and yeah, they they would be responsible. But, you know, I think the assumption here is that Sturman doesn't have that kind of money. Um, or, you know, a lot of times the perpetrators don't have that kind of money or insurance to cover that kind of, you know, liability. So theoretically, they are responsible. Theoretically, yeah, they, they would be responsible or, you know, the victim could sue them in court, you know, in a civil court to get that reimbursed for sure. But I'm not a lawyer, so don't hold me to, to any of that. <laughs> in fact, if our listeners know anything about this, please write to us. Yeah, we'd love to know for sure. So we find out that Rice was actually just one of a string of people that Stroman was targeting because he believed that they were Muslim. He called it his way to seek, quote unquote, revenge following the attacks of 9-11. Remember, this was just a, you know, a couple days after 9-11. And so his murder spree began on September 16th, 2001, uh, when Stroman entered Mom's Grocery in Dallas and shot and killed uh, Vakar Hassan, a 46-year-old Pakistani immigrant. Oh, no. So it's yep. not just one person. Not just one. Yep. Multiple people. Hassan was grilling hamburgers when Stroman just shot him in the head. And then after Rice was shot, uh, Stroman went on to murder 49-year-old Vasudev Patel, an Indian immigrant in Mesquite, Texas, on October 4, 2001. I mean... This is really crazy. Now, this guy shoots Raiz in September, right? Ten yes. days after 9-11. And then he's not caught? Nothing happens? Like yeah, the they guy... couldn't find him. Oh, they couldn't find him. I can't speak for how... Texas police and authorities work, but remember the nation was in shock at this point and things were happening all across the country, but so much of the focus was on this kind of big story of New York City, the towers going down and the cleanup and you know who did this to us and we we're under attack. The search is underway for those who are behind these evil acts. I've directed the full resources of our intelligence and law enforcement communities to find those responsible and to bring them to justice. And, you know, a lone gunman who is driving across the state of Texas, killing people at random. Remember, this is pre-cell phone days or like early cell phone days. And so I would imagine that it was hard to track people down that were just kind of committing crimes at random like this. But I don't know enough about the police investigation at the time to, to speak to that. Hmm. But, you know, it would take authorities six weeks after wow. his last murder to find Stroman. And on November 21st, so this is again, you know, six weeks after it started, he was captured and charged with capital murder for killing Hassan and Patel and for shooting Rice. So Sadi, I was, as I mentioned, I was working in journalism at the time. And I honestly can't remember if this story was a big story at the time. You know, as I mentioned, like 9-11 was really front and center and, you know, the preparations for war and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like everybody in our community knew of a story like this, and we were really scared for our safety. If I go back to that time, I can't recall, and there could be a number of reasons for that, living on campus, being new to the U.S., not paying attention to what was going on around me, just trying to settle in and do the basic stuff, which can be extremely overwhelming in the beginning. Right. And as you're narrating this, Asit, it's just bizarre to think that I was unaware of things that were happening around that time. And I was 
walking around in my shalwar kameez, by the way. Wow. I don't know how I survived. Now when I look back, I'm like, I was lucky. Yeah, I mean... It's a testament to, as they call it, the People's Republic of Cambridge, where everybody, you know, everybody <laughs> is welcome and open and it, it's a, you know, near utopian society, right? Yeah. I mean, we were living on MIT campus. It was like, it was just a different world that we were living in. No doubt. So I want to talk a little bit about Mark Stroman's background um, and why he hated minorities so much. And so, you know, he was born in October of 1969 in Dallas, Texas, he identified as a white supremacist and was a member of the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas. And he had numerous Nazi and KKK tattoos. Prior to his violence following 9-11, Stroman was free on bond for a gun possession arrest. And he had previously uh, been convicted for burglary, credit card fraud, robbery, and theft. So not really, you know, a stand-up citizen <laughs> to, to any degree. Um, Following his arrest for these murders and attempted murder, Stroman actually would call television stations from his cell phone and yeah. declare that he was a, quote, patriot for killing the people. And during his trial, he actually flipped off one of the victim's families. So just, you know, a piece of shit, in my opinion, you know. Oh, my God. This guy is a committed white supremacist. It seems like he's unapologetically an ass. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And so in April of 2002, so about six months, you know, after 9-11, Stroman was found guilty and sentenced to death by lethal injection. He was not, however, convicted of a hate crime. Wow. I just want to note just one thing. Uh, you know, when he arrived on death row, he referred to himself as a, quote, Arab slayer. Oh, my gosh. So he had no regrets, no remorse, at least until this point. Yeah, it, you know, he he was proud of the fact that he was able to kill these people, none of whom were Arab, by the way, I believe, you know, and so... Yeah, he was know, not just an ass, he was stupid too. It seemed like it, you know, and he was just consumed with this white supremacist KKK Nazi ideology, right? And so... Of course, for him, anybody that's not white is different, is Arab, is worthless and deserves murder, you know? Yeah, we could also think about it in a different way. 9-11 gave him a reason to murder people who looked different. I think that's a great analysis for sure. Yeah, so Savia, do you think this was a hate crime? hundred percent. When you were narrating this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is quintessential hate crime case because he even asked race before shooting at him, right? Where are you from? Yeah. Which means that this killing spree was motivated by individuals' identity. So hundred percent hate crime, no doubt about it. And I wish he was prosecuted and convicted for hate crime, which unfortunately did not happen. Yeah. You know, I think you're exactly right. I think there's, you know, the fact that he asked people um, or asked Rice where he's from. You don't know what he asked the other victims, but, you know, clearly he was targeting them and is proud of the fact after the fact that, you know, he he was claiming that he was killing, you know, he was an Arab slayer and all these things. And so, yeah, to me, this is 
clearly a hate crime. And, you know, it is very sad that it wasn't charged or convicted of being a hate crime uh, as well. And I was thinking a lot of, at least some of our listeners who are listening to this episode may not even have been either born or too young to know or remember this. Isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah, you know, it's been over 20 years, right? Oh my gosh, I said, this makes yeah. me even more sad. Yeah. For me, it's it's clear. You know, I think there's no there's no denying that this was a hate crime and a really horrific one for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I don't know if there are levels of hate crime, but this is this is at the top, right, for me. But I want to say, Sadia, that despite these horrible details surrounding Sherman's attacks and actions, Rice actually went on to forgive Stroman and even tried to save him from the execution. Um, oh no! Why? Yeah. <laughs> why? Uh, well, Honestly, you know, why? The, this Rice shared that you know his Muslim faith told him to forgive Stroman, and that the execution uh, was not the correct path forward. You know, as I mentioned, I've talked to Rice, and he is just a stand-up guy. Pro- you know, the best of the best of us is is who Rice is. Um, so Rice had a team, including lawyers, that tried to save Stroman, but they lost their appeal in federal court, and Stroman ended up being executed in July of 2011, so 10 years, about 10 years after the attack. Hours before Stroman was put to death, they actually spoke for the first time since the attack, Stroman and Rice. And that must have been so difficult for Rice, right? You know, I can imagine, and and Rice actually says to him, I forgive you and I do not hate you. To which Strowman responded, you know, thank you from my heart. I love you, bro. You touched my heart. I would have never expected this. To which Rice replied, you touched mine. And so, you know, they developed this relationship. And, you know, I think Rice, having spoken to him, you know, he's he's proud to call Strowman, his brother at the end of this, you know, like, I think that he really feels like he made an impact on Strowman's life at the end there. You know, I said, call me petty, but I could not bring myself to forgive this person. Never. I mean, it would take, it would take a lot. And Rice really shows his humanity by being able to, to forgive Strowman. So Rice went on to create a nonprofit called World Without Hate. Um, which is dedicated to preventing and disrupting hate and violence through empathy and storytelling. I like that. We'll share the links in the the show notes, and we encourage you to 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 check it out. One of his primary projects has been lobbying members of Congress to pass a bill recognizing the survivors of 9/11 hate crimes. The bill recognizes nine homicides and more than 700 acts of violence nationwide that happened in the weeks after 9-11. Unfortunately, the resolution hasn't gained much traction this year. Ah, I wonder why. Rice has stated that, quote, every year when the country remembers 9-11, he says, many of us go into hiding. And I thought that was a really powerful, powerful quote. It's a very powerful and profound quote, and it is so true. On the day of the anniversary of 9-11, I feel this visceral reaction of, I just want to hide. I don't want to go out. I don't want to interact with anybody. It has taken a huge, huge mental toll on so many Muslims living in the U.S. because on that day, they have to justify 
their existence in the United States, perpetrators of 9-11 did not do this just to those 3,000 people. They've basically destroyed how the West sees Muslims around the globe. 100%. And, you know, we've spent 20 years trying to correct this narrative of, you know, Islamophobia and anti-Muslim rhetoric from across, across the country, across the world, for sure. Absolutely. But before we wrap up, Asad, I also wanted to share something. I was doing research on Mesquite, and I found out that on July 6, 2020, the Mesquite City Council unanimously approved a resolution condemning racism and committing to community inclusion and equality, which is a great step. That's great. Now, Mayor Bruce Archer, he was the mayor at the time, he said, Tonight, in the city of Mesquite, Texas, we take part in a very historic moment. Tonight, the city council and really this entire city makes a statement that we hope will be a lasting example for future generations of leaders and citizens in our city. Tonight, Tonight the city council will take a resolution that we hope tells the entire world that in Mesquite, Texas, we absolutely and unequivocally denounce, as never before, all forms of hatred and racism. We resolve with all we have in us that Mesquite must be a city where every race, ethnicity, economic status, and background feel welcome, and that they know that they are welcome at the table of decision-making, and that we must be one city, one people, under God, and indivisible. These are powerful words and they do make me happy and hopeful, but I wonder if these statements and resolutions have any tangible impact or do they really affect change at systemic level? What do you think, Asit? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I have a similar reaction to you that, that, you know, I think it's an important step that they did that and recognize that. And I think potentially a next step is to for them to go back and see and document things that have happened in the past in Mesquite in which maybe things were covered up or things didn't get the right light of day or acknowledgement from the city. But, you know, I think it's a it's a, an encouraging first step. It, it means that there are people in leadership that recognize that things need to change. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it can be, you know, a mission and vision statement that they can look to in times of uncertainty. And you hear me say this a lot on this podcast, but something that we all need to do as individuals and as a collective is that we need to look inwards and see how we have either perpetuated racism or have benefited from it. And believe you me, all of us have in some ways. Yeah. So please, if you think you're not a racist, think again. I think that's... Great words of advice and wisdom, Sadia, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Invisible Hate is a production of Immigrantly and Rafaelion Media. Thanks to our team, Lindsay Gamble, Isabel Havens, and Michaela Strather. Be sure to follow us on all the socials. We're at Invisible Hate Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. If you have a story that you would like to share or comments on this story, you can email us at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Asad Butt. 
And I'm Sadia Khan. Don't forget to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.